what makes the Soul Stone different? And what are all the perspectives from the Avengers on what they're willing to sacrifice and what they're not? What's up, Story Geeks? On today's podcast, beloved guest Helen O'Hara from the Empire Podcast joins Daryl and me, Jay Shear, to dig deeper into Infinity War. We've done a lot of content on Infinity War already, but this is us digging even deeper into that film. And if you want to hear even other thoughts or perspectives on Infinity War, like our blogs from Ashley and Anthony, or even to share your own thoughts with us, head on over to thestorygeeks.com. While you're there, we'd love it if you become a supporter. If you support The Story Geeks on Patreon, you'll get access to our premium content, including our aftercasts and audiobooks. On today's aftercast, we are actually getting to all of the questions that we couldn't get to in this hour, and Helen O'Hara joins us for those as well. Become a premium supporter today and unlock access to that premium content right now. Thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Let's dig deeper into Infinity War. Helen, it is a pleasure to have you back with us. Thank you so much for joining us again. Good to be here. It's always good fun. Yeah, and people love it when you're on the podcast. Everyone is always super encouraging and they... We've had we've had we've had a really um, fun time with getting really great guests on, and we would put you up near the top of the list of that of that whole bunch of people. So oh, thank stop. you so much. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're starting to inch towards your five timers jacket too. So hey. we've got that to look forward to. I know, I know. <laughs> and this is our third podcast of the week, so <laughs> hopefully we maintain our energy level. Yes. Yeah. We did one literally not 12 hours ago. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, d- I did the Empire podcast earlier this morning, so nice. You know, nice. It's all good. It's I, a I marathon. Feel, I, I may podcast. do the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're going to jump into Infinity War. Now, we've already talked about Infinity War from, like, the perspective of Thanos. Um, We've already talked about uh, Captain America's character journey with Helen, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're going to do this more because we're going to do a Thor character journey. (laughs) We're going to do an Iron Man character (laughs) journey. Uh, There's some movie coming out in April that we're kind of ramping up to. I don't don't know what what you mean. I don't remember what it's called. Mm, I don't remember either. Probably not going to be big, though, right? I mean, maybe a sleeper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're, but we actually have not done uh, a dig deeper on the movie itself, and so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to dig deeper into this film, and we're going to start right from the very opening of the film because Infinity War opens with Ebony Ma walking through dead or dying Asgardians, and he gives us the central conflict of the film when he says, "Hear me and rejoice." You have had the privilege of being saved by the great Titan. You may think this is suffering. No, it is salvation. Universal scales tip toward balance because of your sacrifice. Smile, for even in death, you have become children of Thanos. The movie literally opens with that. And what I'm wondering from Helen and Daryl, and I'll get into this myself, uh, and we'll start with Helen, what Mm. stands out about that statement and how does it reveal the way the villains think about their actions? Well, I think it's, I mean, it's pretty twisted as a way to open your superhero movie um, for a start. But I think you're right. I think the, what it gets at here is really the fact that no villain thinks they're the villain, right? Everybody Mm. thinks that they have figured it out and that they know what they're doing. And really, it's very rare that anybody thinks they're the villain. Even, even the sort of serial killers, I was listening to a bit of that Ted Bundy thing. And even they think that, well, they just don't realize that other people matter, they still don't think mm. they're the villain. They just don't get 
they, this is something they need to do, therefore they do it. So why is everybody making such a big deal? You know, mm. and I think there's a there's an element of that that same thing here. This is something we need to do. So why are you acting like this is a bad thing? No, no, this is salvation. This is good. Mm. Um, and it's it's sort of that same kind of disconnect between maybe yourself and other people. But it is, I, I believe, a sincere position on the part of Ebony Maw, who is clearly a true believer in Thanos mm. and his demented mission. And I will say demented. And I know yeah. this has been a point of discussion for geeks, but this is very much my position on it. Yeah. I don't, we're not going to try to argue no. that he's a hero in this one at all. Yeah. I think we all share that perspective yeah. for sure. Anything you pick up, Daryl, in that statement? I mean, it just communicates the gravity of Thanos, right? Like, mm. It's like, you know, you've seen glimpses of him throughout the other films in the MCU here and there. And, you know, he told... Ronan, he was going to bathe the starways in his blood. So clearly he's a guy to be feared. We know that. But what better way to present him as the villain of this entire universe mm. than with this little opening speech? Yeah. 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 yeah and, a, and a distress call from Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> yeah. <is> also <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's just in there. Um, yeah. I, I think you guys are... 100% right on this. It's a fascinating way to start it out. And Helen, like you said, there's there's this dichotomy in the words that he's using. Like he's mm. walking through dead and dying bodies and then suggesting that those about to die should rejoice because they're being <laughs> saved. It's like, wait a minute, what world are we living in that this is what's happening? So yeah. he's actually drawing a comparison between their death, salvation for mm. them, and then becoming children of Thanos. Mm. And I think as I as I reread through this, I was thinking to myself, you know, this is really, to me, a perversion of mm -hmm. different spiritual perspectives that we actually hear. Yeah. So one of those being like, we need to lose our ego, right? Rejecting your ego's desire, like sort of integrating with the rest of the universe as opposed to focusing on oneself. Mm -hmm. It's sort of a perversion of that because he's telling us, you need to do it. <laughs> we don't need to do it. You need to do it. And he's mm. doing it for them. Um it's also a perversion, I think, of some of the Christian tradition where Jesus Christ's death and resurrection leads to salvation. Yeah. It's almost like suggesting that each person Thanos kills is like some sort of version of Jesus. Um, and, it's, yeah. and it's super weird, right? It's, it's super weird. It's interesting, isn't it, that children of Thanos thing, you know. He is a child of Thanos, I think I'm right in saying, by virtue of having sort of accepted Thanos into his heart or whatever mm -hmm. in that, again, to right, revert right, the kind right, of Christian, right. uh, you know, phrase. Um, but he, but there's a, a really profound difference. And, and this is what the film really comes down to. There's a really profound difference between being willing to sacrifice yourself and being willing to sacrifice other people. Yes. And that is really what all of this is going to come down to and everything we're about to discuss. I think um, Thanos is willing to sacrifice other people for, for salvation. Um, and the Avengers are not. They're, they're absolutely willing to sacrifice themselves, mm. but they keep fighting any suggestion that they sacrifice other people. That's the thing they can't get their heads around. Yeah. Um, and, and it's this thing, you know, uh, Ebony Moore is telling people, you have sacrificed yourself. Well done you. But they didn't <laughs> yeah. choose that. Exactly. They were sacrificed. It's a very different thing. Absolutely. In fact, that's basically almost verbatim what I have in the rest of my notes. Like, <laughs> like Thanos and his cronies are basically dangerous religious fanatics leading a cult, right? Like they're <laughs> yeah. saying they're, they've turned themselves into 
we have a righteous quest and because of our righteous quest uh we can do whatever we want to yeah basically we're the ones to be revered um and it's that's a really dangerous place to be. We talked about when we talked about Captain America's character journey. We looked at the fact that um, Captain America has this really strong moral standard, but that it's other people centric, yeah. right? So he's never saying you have to sacrifice, you have to sacrifice. He's saying shouldn't we all try to be better people? Mm-hmm. Whereas Thanos and crew are being like, you're going to sacrifice yourself yeah. because we're on a righteous quest. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really, really, really interesting. Even even when Cap fought Hydra and the Nazis, you can see that his his mora- his moral standard was well. I, you're hurting other people, so I don't necessarily want to hurt you. But until you stop hurting other people, I have to do something to stand up for them. Yeah, yeah. I don't like bullies. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So really, really fascinating stuff. Any other any other thoughts on this? Well, the other stuff that stands out to me here is this really sets up the rest of the movie yeah. to make sense because mm. this is Thanos's movie. Yes. Thanos yeah. really is the main character in this movie. And that is such a fine line to walk to come into a film like this that is jam-packed with all of your favorite characters from all of your favorite movies that you've seen over the last 10 years. Mm. Yeah. And no, we want you to pay attention to the villain. The <laughs> villain is our main yeah. character here. Yeah, totally. So that helps set him up really well for that. And the other thing that I think is interesting when you talk about children of Thanos and is Ebony Ma a child of mm. Thanos? Yeah. I actually think having him start this off is perfect because um, the only person that we really see Thanos actually care about, per se, in this mm-hmm. movie is Gamora. Yeah. But he does ask Tony about Ebony Ma. He's like, I assume the Ma is dead. Mm. Yeah. Like, and the fact that he even bothers to ask that mm. makes me think that there is some small amount of regard for Ebony Ma. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so maybe Ebony Ma was like the closest thing there was to him beyond Gamora. Yeah, could be. Because yeah, he doesn't I, even I care so. about, uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on names. <laughs> Which one? Which Gamora's one sister. Oh my gosh. Oh, Nebula. Uh, Nebula. Nebula. Oh, I'm so ashamed. He doesn't even <laughs> care about her as much yeah. as he cares about Ma, you know? Yeah. True, yeah. So true. I thought that was interesting. Well, it also sets up kind of some of Thanos's core needs, right? He he's desperately in need for people to love him in return. He mm. just the way he goes about it is the way a cult leader would go about it, saying yeah. like, you have to love me the way I want to be loved or else I am going to torture you <laughs> or kill you. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Like so it's really fascinating from that perspective. And as one hero once said, this isn't freedom. This is fear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um Oh, he's got all the answers. He does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so right before Thanos kills Loki, the god mm-hmm. of mischief tells Thanos that no matter how much power he achieves, he'll never be a god. Um, so Marvel Comics, and to a lesser degree the MCU as well, has a bunch of godlike characters. My question for you guys, and I'll start with you, Daryl, what makes a Marvel or an MCU character a god? This is a hard question for me because as a lifelong comic fan the use of the concept of a god in comics yeah. is so all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and it's so hard for me to accept because my concept of God is a limitless being completely. Right. But mm. having a story centered on a limitless being is kind of boring. <laughs> like, you need limitations. You need conflict. You need something to overcome. Right. So that's always been a weird one to me. 
Um, mm. But, I mean, it certainly has to do with power. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think it might have to do more with ego than power because if you look at the Asgardians, I don't see what makes them a god per se. Yeah. You know? Mm. Yeah. Like Thor is it doesn't seem like he's more powerful than maybe Captain Marvel is going to be. And I don't think she would call herself a God. Mm. Right. And so I don't know. And then you have, um, you have the line from the first Avengers film Mm -hmm. where Cap is like, well, there's only one God and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. You know, (laughs) (laughs) what a great line. Such a good line. (laughs) You clearly have conflicting views, you know, which is cool because these people come from different planets and different realms and stuff. So, their their views should be conflicting. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's a whole lot of talking to say. I don't really know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a confusing concept. It is. Helen, what do you yeah. think? I agree. It's confusing. And I don't think there's a right answer per se. What I would say is, I mean, certainly in the, in the case of the Asgardians and in the case of many of the sort of quote unquote gods of the Marvel Universe, you know, the sort of the watchers and that kind of person, I think the the nice get out of jail free card is the sort of uh, any sufficiently advanced science is indistinguishable from magic sort of um idea of i think arthur c clark but it's one that thor talks about in the first thor movie um there is no difference between science and magic and if you have a uh, significantly advanced race you can't tell whether that what they're using is science or magic because it's all the same to you because it's so far in advance of what you can do so i think there's an element of that with the asgardians and with as i say the watchers and some of the you know um ego the living planet and people like that as well there's there's elements of that um it's, it's interesting because I think someone like Thor to me feels more godlike than god-y, if you like. Mm. Um, so he's more like in the Iliad where they keep talking about godlike Agamemnon, godlike Achilles, godlike, you know, uh, whoever. Um, it's, it's a way of just expressing the word hero or yeah. really, really built guy, you know, in a slightly more... <laughs> uh, neat manner but what i think is really interesting is that in the marvel universe even the gods have problems i think it's one of the big issues with certainly putting the dc universe on screen is that they are all so powerful and they have very few weaknesses you know you have to have kryptonite to defeat superman because nothing else is going to do it pretty much um whereas the 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 marvel characters even the godlike ones tend to be a bit more limited in what they can do um and it kind of makes them more interesting because you need those limits and that's why the greek and the and the nor uh, the norse gods are more interesting than i don't know the actually more than the egyptian gods because they have more limits because they have more problems with ego and more problems with you know interspecies conflict and more problems with just getting in their own way a lot of the time Mm. Um, which is, I think, what you need to make a, a god-like character interesting. You need you need to give them flaws and you need to give them limitations. Yeah, absolutely. Do any of the other characters in the, in the MCU refer to mm. themselves as gods or anybody else as gods? I feel like it's just the Asgardians. In the MCU. Because mm. even in Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah, like, I don't, nowhere mm. is the head of an elemental. They don't say a god. Right. Yeah, they don't and do that. I don't know if Ego calls himself a god or if anyone calls him a god. Oh, yeah, good question. Um, yeah. That's the only other one I can think of. But yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's mostly the, the Asgardians. But they are in the position where they came to Earth 
a thousand years ago. And by the way, I have lots of questions over the timeline of that and how old Thor was <laughs> and how he's just getting through adolescence a thousand years later, but fine. Um, but if they came to Earth at that level when we were that primitive, it sort of makes sense that they would then mm. be treated certainly as gods and yeah, that they might totally. then believe their own hype, I guess. I don't know. But there's a couple little offhanded comments in some of the other films too that sort of make it feel like it's about ego. Like yeah. like um, Hela, when mm. she shows up in, in Ragnarok, she's like, what are you the god of? You know? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. we're all the god of something. What are you yeah. the god of? <laughs> right, right, right. And then when Loki tells Thanos, you'll never be a god, he doesn't seem to care. Yeah, right, Thanos, like, yeah. 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 I don't think he was offended by that. I think he just <laughs> didn't care. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I, think he, I think it was more like, it, there was almost an element of, uh, I know I am, I don't care what you think. Yeah. You know, I don't know if that's true or not, but that was kind of like, I don't need to be a god, I can do this anyway. Yeah. Sort of a thing. Yes. Um, I think you guys are onto something there, too. Mm. Um, by the way, I, I looked up the, the Google definition of god. Okay. In the, in the lowercase in the lowercase definition, because I think that's the way he's using it here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a superhuman being or spirit worshipped as ha as having power over nature or human fortunes. So well, maybe the worship is the issue then. Well, it, yeah. that's what's interesting, mm -hmm. right? So if you look at um, the Google definition, Loki's statement is kind of dumb because a bunch of the Avengers and their enemies could be defined as gods, like you guys just said, like. Like you could definitely describe any one of those characters because not only do they have the powers, but you got to believe that some of the people are worshiping them, even if it's not like out, like they don't have like a shrine to, mm. to cap or something, right? But they've got to be worshiping worshiping him in some way. Um, mm, but there might be an issue, a difference between hero worship and god worship, and now I'm really splitting hairs. But maybe <laughs> no, that's that, good. Maybe that's the way to get rid of that wrinkle. Yes. I don't know. It makes a lot of sense though because. Mm. When Loki, before he started to move towards being more of a hero, he cared about worship. He wanted yeah. to be worshipped. He was like, yeah. bow down to me. Yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm here to relieve you of, I'm burdened with a glorious purpose. I'm here to relieve you <laughs> yeah. of your freedom. Exactly. And and then he kind of learns that maybe that's not what, a, what it's about, but he sees Thanos wanting the same thing and he tells yeah. him, you're not going to get it. So I feel like I've talked about Terry Pratchett on this podcast before, but he yeah, comes up so. one more time here because he uh, he defines gods. Basically, in, in the Discworld books that he writes, there are gods, but they exist because they are worshipped. It is the wor it is belief that creates a god. So whether if, if even if there wasn't a god there to begin with, if people believe that there is a god of this tree or this rock or this whatever then there will soon be a god it is mm. created by that belief and I, maybe this is just coming at the worship angle from the opposite direction but that that's kind of one way of defining it that unless you are worshipped unless you are believed in then you are not a god so maybe yeah i think that that's correct because all uh, if you look at um that's the way it is neil gaiman <laughs> right exactly exactly well, and neil gaiman's uh american gods is the same kind of philosophical yes, yes approach, very right? much like, so. exactly where yeah. there's a worship component there and actually you guys are picking up on that and i i totally agree because i think what loki is doing there it seems to be there there are like three factors in godhood in the mcu and again, I'm digging real deep into this, and probably mm. the the writers did not intend for us <laughs> to do this. But I think that there's there's three components. We've got the power one, but that's easy. Everybody has power. Mm. We we've talked about the worship one, which I want to touch on a little bit because I think it actually relates heavily to what to something about Thanos' character that we talked about earlier. But the third one 
I think is ancestry. So it's almost kind of mm-hmm. like it's so the subtle dig that Loki is giving to Thanos, I think is twofold. One is you know, you're you don't have the ancestry that I have, so you can never be a god because we called we've been calling ourselves gods forever. Um, yeah, that would be consistent with Loki's obsession with whether or not he's kind of a legitimate uh, exactly. Prince. Yeah, good exactly. point. Good point. And then the second one you guys already picked up on, which is I think what he's subtly digging at him on is you'll never be worshipped uh, in in a way that you're loved. In other words, people may worship you because they're trying to avoid your wrath, but no one's ever going to love your perspective, and no one's ever going to get behind you. You are alone in your journey to kill half the universe. Yeah. You have a few of your cronies, and that's it. No one's ever going to worship you as being good and right. But he wants to be good and right. Thanos, yeah. that's like his th- central thing. I, he wants everyone to see what I'm doing is really amazing. Right, guys? Come on. like Everyone get behind this. Um, and I think Loki is basically just poking at him, saying, no, that's that's never going to happen. Like You're never going to be a god because everyone's going to look at you as the idiot who's killing half the universe. Um, so, anyways... I think that that's a part of it. So if you have the ancestry component, if you have, like you guys talked about, the worship component, and then you have the power component, those are like the, the three things, um, which is really a pretty fascinating thing for him to say. Mm. Um, yeah, and, it's, it, and it strikes of desperation as well. Like there's that edge of sort of that's the one thing he thinks he can throw at Thanos, and Thanos doesn't care. He shrugs it off. But it's interesting, isn't it, that that's what Loki goes to, to try and... Hurt, hit him where it hurts. Exactly, exactly. And some of it may be a, a like a distract distraction technique, right? Like, I just want you to be emotionally disturbed long enough that maybe something else will happen here. Yeah, um, yeah. But you're right; it's super desperate. He's like, "What? Do, what can I now do? Um, what can I now do to get through this?" But mm-hmm. I don't know. Just really fascinating. So really interesting way of setting that that conflict up too so we've got we've we've kind of traveled along a little bit of a road here where we're kind of defining thanos as uh having this really odd religious fanatic sort of goal that that only a few people are bought into um and then he's not really a god so let's now jump into the cosmic elements. So Infinity War isn't the first MCU film to include cosmic elements, but it feels, at least it felt like to me, like the most cosmic entry in the MCU to date, um, particularly because of the Infinity Gauntlet itself. So uh, start with you, Helen. What do you think mm-hmm. about the setup of how the universe functions, particularly as it relates to the more cosmic and astral elements? <laughs> um, and you can talk about the MCU or you can even dive into the comics if you want mm-hmm. to. Yeah, it's interesting because this does sort of tie together so many different kind of layers of of both the comics and the films. And I think the films were quite careful at first about how they introduced this stuff. You know, we started off with the reasonably down to earth Iron Man, the reasonably down to earth, you know, Captain America, um, Hulk, you know, people who had sort of however improbable physical explanations for what they do. And I remember when the first Thor came out, everyone's like, this is such a big risk. How do you make this character work alongside Iron Man? You know, how do you how do you 
create a world that binds these people together and makes them feel whole and they said the same thing when guardians came along and they said the same thing when doctor strange came along and they introduced these different layers and they didn't know it was coming really in ant-man or they would have said it about ant-man as well in the sort of cosmic realm quantum realm sorry so this is they've laid the groundwork for this is is the first thing um and they're now at the point where they can kind of presuppose that we understand that there's a whole Marvel universe, not just an Earth, and that we understand that there are different dimensions to that universe and that there are different levels of reality. Um, and I think that's quite, I mean, first of all, it's a, a huge testament to just the really careful, slow building work that Kevin Feige's done and, and everyone at Marvel. But I think also it is, um, it's quite triumphant just how they've, how they've made everybody swallow that. Cause these are big concepts that you get, of course, in comics and you get in sci-fi and fantasy um but you don't get them in big hollywood movies very often you know right um and it's just it's the fact that we've had this whole build-up and this this is maybe the single thing apart from the sheer number of characters that's the single thing that this film does like no other is just build all these layers together which is it's pretty stunning actually i love it (laughs) it is go marvel (laughs) (laughs) what do you think daryl yeah, it's incredible. It's it's interesting though because if the movies behave like the comics do, we're probably mm-hmm. going to swing away from cosmic stuff after this. Cuz that's kind of yeah. how it goes in the comics. It goes mm-hmm. in waves. Like you mm-hmm. have Boom your really bus. big infinity gauntlet stories. Yeah. And then you people are like, "Okay, let's get away from the cosmic stuff and let's do like our civil wars and things like that," you know, and so it'll be interesting to see if they go back to more of a ground level thing. Or mm. if they go even farther, because if they bring the Fantastic Four in, suddenly there's even more big cosmic elements that they can drift <laughs> into. You know, we can get True. Galactus, we can get Silver Surfer, yeah, and all kinds of crazy stuff. But yeah. we all, I know you didn't ask about what's to come, but this is where my mind yeah, is yeah, going. Yeah. <laughs> but also, if we get the X-Men, then we do have more of a street-level thing, more of the social struggle and stuff like that. Mm. But, but even then, you can bring in Phoenix and totally. you know, go cosmic again. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's amazing that they've pulled it off in a way that they've they've brought the cosmic elements in in a way that does not violate or belittle the street level characters that they mm. started with. Yeah, yeah. totally. And yeah, yeah. It, it, it's impressive as well that they, you know, they have all those ca- characters working together. I'm, I'm thinking particularly of the late on scene with um, Thanos on Titan, you know, facing off uh, Cap and Peter Quill and um, uh, Doctor Strange kind of in the background, you know, everybody kind of using their powers at him in a different way yeah. and everyone having something to do. And again, just to contrast with the DC universe for a second, I don't want to kick them, but I think that's always been one of their <laughs> issues is, you know, if you have Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern and The Flash who are basically godlike, yeah. but you also have Batman and he has to have something important to do because he's everybody's favorite but he has no powers whatsoever. You know, it's a really hard balance to hit. And I think Mm. the MCU's great advantage is that they don't have quite such a disparity of power, even though Doctor Strange and Thor are vastly on a different scale to Iron Man. Physically, he can still be super useful, you know? And so it kind of, it doesn't feel quite so forced if you have those characters fighting together. Yeah. Whereas, like, genuinely, I'm like, I don't understand why you're using Batman because Superman could do it and be back and still do the thing Superman has to do because he's yeah. so fast, you know? Is, 
yeah. that is the weird thing about the Justice League because, yeah, I mean, between four characters on the Justice League, they have limitless strength, <laughs> limitless yeah. wisdom. Yeah. They can create any weapon and they can travel <laughs> through time. <laughs> <It's> like, yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is, I think, why Batman is the most interesting one because he can't do any of that stuff. He right. has limits. So. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you guys, I think you guys hit exactly on some of the things that I was going to hit on, too. I mean, like, uh, Helen, you said it. The more you get into the cosmic and astral um, plane elements, mm. you really start to make things unrelatable. Uh, but the MCU has been kind of magnificent in taking yeah. all of those concepts and making them very relatable, uh, which is just really impressive. And um, doing it by giving us movies where we actually meet those people in those yeah. cosmic realms, you know? Yes. Yeah. Like yes. things like the Thor films, Guardians, stuff like that really shows us what life is kind of like in those realms. Yep. Mm -hmm. So that when Infinity War comes around, we can spend five minutes on each one and it totally makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. It's interesting to me that anybody went into this film and, and watched it without having seen other MCU films. Like, <laughs> I, know. I know people who, who went and saw as their first MCU film, which oh, wow. boggles my mind. Uh, and it still kind of worked for them, which I am actually surprised by because I didn't think it would because they don't pause to really introduce anybody. They don't pause to really explain what's going on. Um, and yet it still apparently works, which is, uh, again, just testament to great storytelling. And and just also, you know, these characters and the casting of these characters, you just want to hang with these people because they're awesome. Mm. You know, and whatever they're doing. it's unbelievably fun. It's yeah, such a yeah. fun yes. movie to watch. Yes. Yeah. But at the same time, devastating when you get near the oh, end. Gotcha. Right? Like, it's fun, but it's also like it has emotional stakes to it. Yeah. Yeah, um, very much so. So one of the things I, I found really fascinating uh, from the comics, because I've been, I've been reading back through the comics just to see some of the things that inspired Infinity War and, and probably Endgame as well. And one of the things I found really fascinating was that there's a little bit of an explanation here in Infinity War about where the stones came from. But it was really just more of like a, at the Big Bang, these elements were yeah. were kind of, um, you know, spewed yeah. out into the universe, basically. Well, um, I think it was Thanos Quest. I don't think it was Infinity Gauntlet, though it could have been. I, okay. I found this really interesting. They talked about that before the creation of our universe, so before the Big Bang, there was a being that possessed all the powers that that exist within the Infinity Stones. And that being, so basically, like, you know, omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence, like all of that. Mm -hmm. And that being essentially broke up its essence into the Infinity Stones when it created the universe. I just thought that was really fascinating because I've never heard of that before. Yeah. And it also, I think it also helps define the terms that we're playing with in this world building. Because you, you said, like, you think of God as like this uh bigger than the universe type of uh, uh character right as so, having created the universe. yeah exactly yeah. so yeah. if that's the case then it's kind of like well why wouldn't that character step in and like do something about <laughs> thanos yeah. right and so i think that it, the mcu if, if it were to actually kind of reveal what it revealed in the comics in this regard you'd get a lot of rationale for a lot of different things that are happening that would make it even more ubiquitous for people to understand. Cause you'd be like, Oh, that's the universe that they've set up that we're playing in. Mm -hmm. um, and then you'd have, you'd actually have a little bit of like maybe uh, a reason for cap to have some of the um, viewpoints that he has when he makes the comments of, that he does about God. Right. Because he seems to be referring to that being as opposed to, some other being that's in the universe that 
is going to come and help yeah, him out. Yeah, although mm. Cap making references to God in more of a real world way, yeah, I yeah, think helps I us as so. viewers connect to him. You know, yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. But he's not so specific as to talk about. You know, he's not he's not throwing out his religious beliefs or anything like that. But he's just throwing yeah. out the concept of there's a God. Yeah, yeah. He's, it, it seems like the Judeo Christian tradition yeah. kind of right. God. Yeah. Which we're going to get into that later because we're going to talk about him near the end, near the end of this podcast. But I did think it was at least because you think Helen wants to talk about Captain America. Yeah, you think well, she likes him. Not yeah. my kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Not my kind of thing. Then we can also mourn a little bit about beardless Cap oh, yeah, in yeah. Endgame. Oh. Uh, yeah, too soon. R.I.P. Too soon. Oh. <laughs> um, but I did I did like that because like with world building to me like cosmic and astral elements in any story. Um, mm. They can create all kinds of plot holes because suddenly you get so powerful. And I was even monitoring this the, the, this time uh, I watched this through. I was monitoring mm. like, why are we not using the time stone? And there are right. several instances where he goes to use it but can't for some reason. And so I go, oh, okay, at least they're showing us that he knows he can use it. Mm. And then near the end, I think that he when he starts to look at possible futures, he realizes that, well, it doesn't help me to go back. It's gonna, this is gonna have to play itself out in a certain way, which I think they set it all up perfectly in the MCU so that there's not these big plot holes. Mm -hmm. But the more power you add to things, the more you're setting up these issues where you go, well, why didn't you just use that power in this situation? Yeah, and it stops yeah. making sense. So I think the MCU handles that really, really beautiful. Um, and you know how they handle it? They don't it? make it impossible for those things to exist. Yeah, they just make you not care. That's true too. That's true. <laughs> that too. is yeah. true. Yeah, it's like Back to the Future. I don't really care how it works. Yeah. It's just fun. This is a great movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think also there is an element um, of, uh, and this is something Chris pointed out in the um, uh, on the Empire podcast, but there is an element of Thanos visibly kind of learning each stone as he gets it, and mm. visibly taking a moment to figure it out. And so mm. it would make sense that like Doctor Strange would be much better with the Time Stone than thanos is initially um because he's had it longer and he has presumably studied it a little bit and learned how to see you know six million possible futures at once um thanos hasn't had it long enough he hasn't learned to do that yet he hasn't kind of devoted that time to it so he can't immediately replicate the same feats necessarily even though he has the stone even though the, the potential is there yeah, and that's that's I actually. I wonder if he did have enough time if he would have known how to do the snap without destroying the gauntlet. Yeah, uh, good point. Yeah, interesting. Well, do we know? We'll talk. We, I don't. We're going to we'll talk about that, that later. I know. We'll I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so one of the other things I wanted to just point out is like because you guys mentioned this about like how they're making it the MCU is making these concepts more relatable, and I just mm -hmm. couple a couple things um, as I was thinking through that, I was thinking like how have they done that. And so, like, with Doctor Strange, they made the astral plane relatable by equating it to thinking beyond ourselves and our ego and, like, what else could exist in other dimensions and how those dimensions would exist. So, But they rooted it in a very human perspective from Doctor Strange. So it was relatable from the very beginning. It was like, oh, okay, I can see how this could work out. And no matter what viewpoint you come from, you can actually go, oh, I see where they're going with that. Like, yeah. you, can, you can equate different things to it because of that. And, and they also rooted it in those, um, uh, whatever you want to call them, traditions, beliefs, religions, superstitions um, about, you know, uh, that exist in human culture. So yes. out of body experiences and, you know, astral projection. And, mm -hmm. you know, these are things we have in our legends. We kind of have that grounding and that that maybe not belief in it, but that sort of, oh, yeah, I've heard of that concept. Oh, I know what that is. You know, exactly. so you've got kind of a starting point. 
Exactly. <laughs> and Black Panther did it too because Black Panther sort of showcased the memories of loved ones and added mm-hmm. the, those mm-hmm. into the equation, right? Where, yeah. where he was going back to see his father. Um, and so they, they just, they add these elements that are so personal to us and what we could imagine and what we have, like you should have said, Helen, like what we've seen in the real world, that it, yeah. it became really, really, it becomes really impactful to us. I will yeah. say that as I reflected on all of the different co- cosmic and astral elements, there was only one that I think it doesn't bother me in the instance that it's used, but it bothers me when I start to think of something like Infinity War and Endgame. And that's mm-hmm. the use of Dormammu. Because it's kind of like that thing's out there, man. Like, and it's <laughs> totally bizarre, and like it seems really powerful. Um, and so that was the only case I could come up with where I was like, okay, that's where the cosmic element it fits in that film. But as you apply it to the wider universe, it mm. almost starts to not apply, not fit anymore. Because I'm going like, oh, that's weird. Why is that still there? It's still out there. That's a separate reality, though. That's yeah. fine. We'll just we'll just keep that reality <laughs> right. off in a locked box. Exactly. And that'll be fine. It's exactly. not like he's out there in space where Thanos is and stuff like that. He's in a different dimension. <laughs> true. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. But that's that's where it gets to be like that's where it gets to be the cosmic elements start to take me out of it. Yeah. In mm-hmm. that film, I was not taken out of it. That was fine. That worked out great. But as it relates to how does the cosmic elements apply to this, you know? And I think the 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 again, just to, to reiterate this, the MCU does it I think way better than the comics cuz some of the comics you're sitting there going like, "I you've lost me. What is going on?" <laughs> yeah. So um uh now we're gonna get into like transitioning into this more uh human perspective there are multiple perspectives shared about life and death in the film and i wanted to take a uh, a deeper look into that so before i ask my question though let's cover the different um, characters and their views on life and death both theoretically and in practice so i'm just going to run through these real quick and then i'll get you guys responses to them mm-hmm. but uh first we have gamora she says this to Quill, and then the Vision says it to the Scarlet Witch. She says, kill me so that everyone else has a chance to live. And I do want to throw out a note there that Gamora, Gamora doesn't even adhere to her own perspective because she actually tells Thanos where the Soul Stone is in, in light of Nebula being tortured. Um, so she has the viewpoint, but I, she doesn't act it out in practice. Um, Cap says we don't trade lives. Vision obviously points out his, his hypocrisy as related to his World War II days. Um I'm not sure if it's hypocrisy. Again, he's willing to trade his life, just not other people's. Other people's. Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. totally fair. And um, I don't think he wanted to do that either. I don't think he set out to get himself killed in the first Avenger. He just found himself in a situation where he was like, well, this is what I have to do. Yeah, true. You know? True, true, true. Um, Doctor Strange says, uh, I'll let other people die in order to protect the Time mm-hmm. Stone. Mm-hmm. Um Peter Quill says, uh, I'll kill someone I love if they ask in order to save the masses. Tony says, I'm willing to lose some heroes so long as it means we can keep the population of Earth safe. Um, And finally, Thanos says, I'm willing to murder those I love and commit genocide if it means preserving life in the long run. So my, my question for you guys is, of the perspectives listed here, it's a two part question, which one would you most align with and why? And then what can you also kind of get behind or not get behind at all? So, Helen, I'll start with you on this one. Mm. Um, it's really hard. Well, I, first of all, I don't get behind Thanos. So <laughs> I, I know we've talked about this before, but it's not – It's first of all, it's evil. Second of all, it's not effective. Um, so it's not even – a good you know it's not even evil with a with a good outcome it's it's evil that's not going to be it's not going to do what he thinks it it should do 
it doesn't even achieve his aim um so he he's just wrong on so many levels i can't really <laughs> deal with it um <laughs> I would look. I I don't know that I'd be the hero and sort of say yes, kill me so everyone else can live if that's what it takes. I don't know if I would, you know, make the self-sacrifice play as, as Cap says to Tony in uh, Avengers. I'd like to think that I would if it, if that was what it took. I would like to think that I would be the be willing to sacrifice myself for the greater good. And we should all chorus now in full hot fuzz fashion, the greater good. Um, but. But yeah, but I, I, that is the sort of that is the sort of ideal I aspire to, I suppose. I, I do think that is um, a better way to be. I think uh, you can blame Judeo-Christian morality or if you want, but I think that I am more trustful of a cause that people are willing to die for than a cause that people are willing to kill for. Um, and I mean, I do come from Northern Ireland, which obviously has a history of people who are willing to kill for a cause um on both sides and i i have you know strong feelings that that is not good basically mm. um but at the same time i have respect for those who've you know who've sacrificed their lives for for good causes in the past you know for the the good war of world war ii where the world stood up to evil and said no um for people who have have sacrificed those those themselves for you know the cause of civil rights the cause of freedom the cause of peace um i have nothing but respect for that so i'm not a pure pacifist i suppose but um but yeah i would i would like to think i would i would adhere to the self-sacrifice play and not the sacrifice of others play mm, that's good so, so almost kind of like a gamora vision type of a an approach to it out of this list i guess yeah i guess yeah i guess so although uh, you know gamora puts it in a in a difficult position because she asks someone else to kill her and that's that's a tough <laughs> bit that's a tough right. ask especially of your boyfriend man Jeez, that's going to give him a complex. <laughs> and your boyfriend who lost his mom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that that's a difficult one, but but yes, I mean I'm more on the self-sacrifice play, I suppose. Okay. Yeah. I hope. Yeah, I like that I like that statement that you said, you know, you have a reverence for and re really respect those who have sacrificed. Like that's a really that's a really strong mm -hmm. statement. Daryl, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd come from that same angle. I think Caps is definitely the healthiest approach. If mm. there is a healthy approach to killing people, <laughs> but because um, Gamora and Vision are both acting out of fear, right? Mm. Like mm. they're both saying, "Yeah, kill me so everyone else has a chance to live." But in a situation where that's not necessarily the only solution, right? They're yeah. saying that because that's the quickest solution. But if you really think about it, mm. not necessarily a solution. Yes, maybe it would prevent Thanos from getting the Mind Stone or from getting the Soul Stone. But he still has all these other ones, and he's still <laughs> killing yeah. a whole bunch of people. So he still has to be stopped. Um, Doctor Strange is, is, a cool, is a cool one because he sort of has this wisdom of, of the mystic arts that nobody else has, mm. right? So for him to come out and say something like, I will let you people die in order to protect this little green glowing rock, at first sounds crazy, but you know how much he knows. Yeah, and and especially in the beginning of the movie when he tells Tony, he's like, "I've been protecting your reality, douchebag." <laughs> <laughs> um, Peter Quill's is fascinating because he's willing to do it because he loves Gamora that much. Mm -hmm. Because in the whacked out life that he's had, 
he has learned to really, truly love people and care about people as crazy as he is. And then Tony is just the ultimate tactician, right? He's like, he's like, this is what we signed up for. We're willing to lose heroes if it means everybody else gets to live. Yeah. yeah. You know? Mm. So all the different perspectives are so true to the characters that have been set forth in the other films, which I really, really like. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. Thanos is out of his damn mind and <laughs> is completely evil. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I think Caps is the healthiest and the truest form of heroism. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I um, I myself thought thought in two different circumstances. Right, I would align with Tony or Cap in practice, meaning like heroes should protect the lives of the civilians, even if it means losing their own. But like you do, you wouldn't trade a life for a life if you could help it. Uh, yeah. That's like in practice, that feels like the best way to do it. Um, they're not advocating for killing any other heroes. They're just going to fight and then they're going to let fate decide basically who dies in battle. Um, I think in, Gamora, in in theory, Gamora and Vision have an acceptable strategy. Kind of like you talked about, Helen. It's like there's an altruism about that, right? Like I'm willing to sacrifice myself. And I do think that that is to be respected. But I was, I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, in practice, it's kind of sucks because it's tied to human emotion. So what they're asking for is people who love them very dearly, like Peter and the Scarlet Witch. Yeah. In order for that strategy to work, they have to overcome so much emotion in doing this activity that it's like even a slight hesitation could entirely ruin your plan. Um, so it's almost like in theory, it's a, it's a good place to be from like a, a virtue perspective, but in practice, it's like we might wanna, <laughs> we might wanna avoid that strategy. Um, mm. and to be honest, both of them should have asked other people. I mean, yes. you know, if, if vision had asked cap, I mean, cause he is a soldier, he's a good guy, but he is a soldier and he understands, you know, the need for death sometimes not, he says we don't trade lives. So he's not willing to do it at that point when he's asked, but I feel like if vision had said to him a bit later on, right. And of course it didn't matter because by then Thanos had the time stone, but you know, if it came to it in the moment and that had still been an effective strategy, I think Cap would have been maybe more able to do it than Scarlet Witch. Yeah, yeah. Except, of course, physically able because the whole thing depended right. on her power. Okay, yeah, that's a point. Right, right, Never right. mind, carry on. <laughs> yeah, well, they, and they, I mean, they could have even um, asked Shuri to do it, right? Like, if the things get really desperate, Shuri, like, just kill him, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> just rip it yeah. out of his head. Don't worry about saving him. Um or destroy it, I guess. I don't know. If, I don't know if she could destroy it though. Maybe she could only remove it. Maybe that was part. I of think it. she could only remove it. Yeah. I think it's the sort of law of the conservation of energy. I guess you, yeah. it can't be destroyed. Interesting. I think it'd be really interesting to see too if what Cap would have been like in this instance if Thanos would have invaded himself in the first mm -hmm. Avengers film. Yeah. So if like Thanos would have been Cap's first experience in the modern day. Yeah. Because the journey that he's been on since waking up in the modern day mm. yeah, has really helped inform everything he says in infinity war. Yeah. Cause you know, he kind of, he walked away from all of this stuff and went and did his secret Avengers thing. Right. And you know, he talked about what the job does to you in civil war. Mm. You know, yeah. he had to go through what happened to Bucky. Like it's crazy, crazy stuff that he's <laughs> been through. So right. I bet his reaction would have been much different if this was the first villain that he faced. That's a good point. Yeah, it was it was bit. interesting to me to look at the Doctor Strange and Thanos perspectives and compare the two because if you don't really 
stop to consider what they're both saying, you could end up at a place where you say, and this is where I think people end up when they say that Thanos isn't a villain. They kind of end up at a place where they say, well, well, if he does truly know the future, isn't he actually doing a good thing? Because human be human, well, sentient life will kill itself. So he's trying to prevent it from killing itself and, and actually sustaining it. But the, but I think if you look at it from a story perspective, the art form of setting Doctor Strange and Thanos up is having these slightly different, but the difference is super important. And yeah. that is that Thanos is the protagonist and Doctor Strange is the antagonist. Thanos has a goal to kill people. Doctor Strange has a, in order to prevent someone from doing heinous things, I will allow for things to happen. It's, so it's, it's a flip of the same thought process but it's one that is far more altruistic coming from from Doctor Strange than it is from mm. Thanos. So And I think I think Doctor Strange's knowledge is more compelling. His his sort of expertise. Yes. Um, yes. He literally knows that bad things will happen if the time zone zone is not protected. Thanos believes that life is a plague and needs to be cut back. And yeah. and it is only a belief. It's not a knowledge. Uh, the the you know the experience of even his one world is not enough to extrapolate to the whole galaxy. So, yeah, exactly. it's a it's a very different thing. Exactly yeah. right. Exactly right. So I kind of when I when I went through him, I'm like, okay, here's my here's my rank order: Tony one, Cap two, Doctor Strange three, Vision and Gamora four, and Thanos is dead last. <laughs> All <laughs> you right. Can't get behind <laughs> Thanos. How are you gonna do? How are you gonna do that? Any yeah, any I'll, other I'll thoughts that. on that? Any other thoughts on just like the different perspectives expressed and Well, I just think it's really interesting that the whole film is really Thanos trying to make people choose between things that they love. That's his whole strategy. That's pretty much how he gets all the stones. Mm. Is forcing people to choose between the stone and someone they love. Um and they keep choosing someone they love. Yes. Um, and, and apparently to him, even even Doctor Strange does, although we, we have reason to believe that there's something a bit more going on in his decision. Um, but it's interesting that that is what he comes up against over and over again. And, and it kind of feeds into his sense of superiority because he's just so convinced I'm the only one who can make the tough choice here. Everyone else is weak. Everyone else is misguided by love. I'm the one who sees things clearly. But I'm not sure that he does. In fact, I'm sure that he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I totally agree. And that's basically that, Helen, that is the most perfect segue into the next question. Hey. Um, sticking with the concept of what people are willing to sacrifice, you know, all of these stones that Thanos is hunting down, the soul stone definitely demands the most from Thanos. Uh, speaking of Thanos himself. So in order to get the soul stone, um, he, and, and, and the implication is that this would apply to anyone who's trying to achieve the soul stone. Mm. Um, they have to sacrifice something that they love. Uh, the soul stone requires that sacrifice. And it even seems like it, um, they're a little vague on this, but it even seems mm. like it could be a blood sacrifice in some ways. Um, so why do you think the soul stone has this rule and what implications does it have? Not only for Thanos, but any of the other characters who will use it in the future. So what do you think, Daryl? Yikes. Um, Quickly before I answer that, yeah, um, I have to say in regards to this scene, I was watching Black Panther the other day, yeah, and um, I thought that I stumbled onto something, some amazing little Easter egg, yeah, and I was wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, the music when Thanos is throwing Gamora off the cliff, yeah, is very very similar to the music when T'Challa is meeting T'Chaka in his vision oh, in Black Panther. Yeah. 
And I thought like, is that the same music? Did I just find something? And it's not, but it's very <laughs> close. And I just thought there was a cool symmetry there, you know, a sacrifice of a loved one and then reconnecting with a loved one that you lost. Mm. Mm. Anyway. Yeah, that's cool. It didn't pan out, but I yeah. thought I thought it was cool. And it's interesting that she seems to be sort of inside the soul stone now. There's that, you know, scene later on with the sort of orangey background and yeah. sort of baby, yes. baby Gamora. There, there's a sort of a sense of being trapped. It's like one of those, uh, what do you call it, Elric, the sword that eats souls. You know, there's a, oh, yeah. a sense of being, or Huntress in the DC universe, you know, there's a sense of something about her then being trapped in the stone as, as a part of it, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, that's a good point about the implications for future use. Uh, who's going to be able to use it and why? Um, I mean, I don't think the Avengers are going to be short on death in the next film, much as I would like to believe otherwise. <laughs> so I feel like there's, there's probably going to be somebody who can, you know, who can uh, have a handle on it. Um, but yeah, that that does have that does have strange and worrying implications for the future use of it, um, especially if you're trying to kind of set the universe right. Um, it's certainly the one that we know the least about at this point. Yes, mm -hmm. it is. And I think, and, and there is something very sinister about that idea that it is a blood sacrifice of someone that you love. Um, I mean, I think that that's kind of speaking very metaphorically, it's kind of true of a lot of power that you have to give up something you love in order to get it. Mm. Um, and, and almost, you know, there's a sense in some cases of, you know, stories about power of you giving up a piece of your soul to get it. Mm. Um, so it's kind of interesting that it would apply with a soul stone in particular. Um, but yeah, oh, I don't know. Oh, this is this got me really worried about the future. Now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also interesting that the one that seems to have gotten as cl closest to it before Thanos was Red mm. Skull. Right. Yeah. And now he's trapped and can never get out of there. And yeah. he's in this eternal prison. Mm. I wonder if that's a little foreshadowing for the way Thanos might end up getting defeated. In That's also a very good know. point. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it was interesting, the Red Skull kind of role that he's sort of, uh, I mean, I'm not saying redeemed necessarily, but he's, he, you know, he's, he's lost all that lust for power. He's lost yeah. all that obsession and that ego. Um, he's kind of gained some sort of wisdom from his, you know, dementor predicament. Yeah, exactly. And, and obviously he was not able to give up something that he loved, right? Like mm, yeah. that's the implication. Like he, yeah. he can't get past it. Well, it, he didn't have the car to give them, you know. <laughs> yeah. That would be hard to give up that car. That car was pretty sweet. Oh, that I car was say. gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. oh. Oh. Uh, one of the things that I found fascinating about watching this is, is, is that they never really say, he does say a soul for a soul. He does say, give up something you love. He doesn't say anything about life or blood specifically. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I, I, I'm curious about is if you could take the soul stone by giving up your own soul in some way. You, could, you just kind of reference that, Helen, because that's kind of like a yeah. sell your own soul type of um, thing. Mm. And so I'm almost wondering if, if one of the Avengers, in order to take control of the soul stone itself, could... Because it, it's talked about it having its own wisdom. And in the comics, it yeah. talks about how it ties all of the other stones together in a way. So I'm yeah. wondering if there, if the, I mean, it seems like the soul stone holds the key to defeating Thanos in some way, shape, yes. or form. I just thought of the darkest thing possible. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Tony takes control of the soul stone by killing Pepper. <laughs> You're a monster. I know. Yeah. I told you it was dark. <laughs> That that's, is pretty. That twisted. is pretty bad. I think. I think that's unlikely. But I do think it's very possible that somebody gives up themselves for the soul stone. Yeah. The other option, though, is that Gamora herself still has some kind of 
power in it mm. by being sacrificed and that that comes into play again I, I i can see her being almost his almost thanos's jiminy cricket uh oh. in endgame there, there's an oh, element yeah. of that already you know um yeah. so there may be some element of that element of him being haunted by her that that sort of weakens him or or provides some kind of help or comfort to the avengers yeah have you have have either of you guys read the infinity gauntlet comic not in a long time I mean, but yeah, not yeah. in a long time yeah because based on my understanding of it which it's super cosmic <laughs> so there are some elements of that comic where you're like i don't know if i understand what's going on yeah but based on my reading of it um adam warlock actually comes out of the soul stone because he was in the soul stone and he mm. goes back into the soul stone in order to separate the soul stone from the other gems and there, and then basically that that kind of it doesn't rip apart the gauntlet but it rips apart the person's ability to hold on to the gauntlet um right and I, and I feel like there this is a similar type of setup because they've you know red skull says this this stone has its own sort of wisdom yeah. and none of yeah. the other stones seem to have that kind of capacity at all it's just like they're things to be used yeah but yeah. this soul stone seems like it's it's more than so it'd be interesting to see if someone like like you say helen if if gamora or if one of the other avengers who we know are probably going to die um <laughs> actually does so in a way to get into the soul stone to be able to influence things from inside the inside out yeah. almost yeah It'd be really fascinating that'll be that'll be interesting it's a little bit like the uh, ever read the belgariad the orb of Aldor? no there's a there's a there's a stone in that with personality that sort of whispers to people i don't know we oh, might have interesting. a similar situation here yeah that'd be awesome um all right let's let's move on to the next question mm -hmm. here uh one of the most interesting character interactions in the film, and this has been talked about a lot, so I don't know that um, we're going to break new ground, but I, I want to take it from a slightly different aspect than I've heard before, mm -hmm. and that's when Thanos meets Tony Stark. So uh, of all the Avengers he meets, Thanos actually knows who Tony is, and he says to Tony, you're not the only one cursed with knowledge, um, and then goes on to say that he respects Tony. So my question, and I'll start with you, Helen, is mm -hmm. why is it a curse to have knowledge and how has that curse manifested itself both in Thanos' life and Tony's life? And then finally, this is the thing that's been tackled more, but um, mm -hmm. I do want to get your opinion on, of all the Avengers, why would Thanos respect Tony Stark the most? Mm. So I guess that the knowledge he's talking about, in his case, it's the quote-unquote knowledge that half the universe must die to protect the universe. Mm. Um in Tony's case, I guess it's going back to this sort of paranoia that we saw play out in Age of Ultron, that bad things are coming and I have to find a way to protect my planet. I have to find a way to armor not just myself, but my entire world against these bad things. Um, so I guess I guess that's the curse with knowledge he means, I suppose. Mm. I, I mean, in terms of the the respect thing, it's interesting. I think he has a certain amount of respect for all of them uh, in, a, in a strange and twisted way. Um, I guess with Tony, there's the element of being, well, he's not entirely a self-made man. He's an heir to a fortune, but he is a, a maker of things. He is a, he is a doer, a developer of ideas. Uh, and that I think is the way that Thanos sees himself as well. He's a man who makes things happen, who, mm. who changes the world as he runs through it, um, who builds a gauntlet or has one built to his specifications. Cause he sees, he has a vision for something that should exist and does not. Mm. Um, so maybe that's it. I don't know. Oh, that's really good. What do you think, Joe? 
Uh, so one theory that I've got is <clears throat> maybe the knowledge mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. they're talking about here has to do with a profound experience that changes their view of their purpose in life, mm. Mm. both of which they went through. Mm. Or of which yeah. both of them, well, I, I don't think I said that right, but they both went through that. <laughs> and, um, so I, now, of course, that assumes that Thanos somehow knows Tony's origin, mm. Mm. and I'm not sure how that could be, although Tony's famous, so maybe Thanos saw broadcasts on Earth or something. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, or maybe it he knows depends. it through Loki. I don't know. Well, I mean, Loki, so there's the theory that, that um, Loki was tortured by Thanos. Yeah. So if you, if you look at the first Avengers, Loki shows up in bad shape and actually gets better, uh, at least until he meets the Hulk. Right. Um, at the end. He, he is, he is clearly something bad happened to him before he gets to Earth. And the theory goes that basically Thanos tortured him, broke him, you know, learned everything that he knows and uh, and then sent him off to do Thanos' bidding. Like he, he he's so by the way broken that he trusts him with two soul stones or with two infinity stones. Yeah. Which is um kind of messed up. Like when in Ebony Moore says at the beginning of this film, no creature has been as powerful before you're like, ah kinda has actually. Loki he's in close. the room right now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, mm. so yeah, but that wouldn't, I mean, timing wise, that doesn't actually explain how he knows everything about Iron Man. Yeah. Um, so maybe he has people. I mean, I think the, the simplest answer to this mm. question mm. is Tony started the MCU and Tony should be the strongest opposition to Thanos mm. from a symmetry point of view, storytelling wise. Right. Yeah. That doesn't really answer the question within the story, but but it certainly makes sense why the Russos chose to make Tony the one that Thanos would respect the most. Yeah. Mm. But um, it is fascinating. I, I, I hope they explain it yeah. in Endgame. <laughs> right, right, right. Why, why Thanos knows so much about him. Yeah. You know? Mm. There is, um, I think it's interesting as you talk about uh, knowledge. And I think I totally agree with you, Helen. It's this, it's this knowledge of things that could occur almost, right? Like, Mm. Um, that's a pretty, that's a pretty deep seated concept. And I don't think we, it's, it's interesting because we don't often talk about it, um, in contemporary conversations. But like, if you think back to, there's, there's this concept in the, the Adam and Eve narrative, which, you know, I, I know that it has Jewish elements, it has Islamic elements, and then Christian tradition has Adam and Eve and everything. But in their wanting to be like God, they eat from this tree that gives them knowledge of good and evil, mm. right? This concept. So there's this, there's this, yeah. there's this deep-seated thing in humanity that says there are these stories where knowledge can be, um, can be a burden or it can be yeah. damaging. Um, and I think you're right, Helen. It's it's this. It's kind of like I've heard people say, if we could watch our lives play out. Um, and see what what's in store for us. We wouldn't want to live <laughs> because it'd be yeah, like, oh, yeah. that's I don't want to live with the burden of this knowledge of what I have to go through. Um, and so I think that that you're right in saying that that's what Thanos is referring to. He's referring to this, and he sees himself as having this knowledge that is such a burden because he's got to mm. do something with it, right? Like, and, yeah. and and you're also right in in your previous um, statements about he has one limited experience, which means he's applying this one limited experience across the entire universe and everyone else's experience and assuming that it's going to play out that way. Um, and then that's, that's like, he's almost like taking on a false burden. It's like, dude, that's yeah. not going to necessarily play out the way you think it's going to play out. Um, he needs Luke Skywalker in his life. <laughs> that's what he needs. <laughs> um, 
And then, and I think he's, he recognizes, I don't know how he recognizes it in Tony, but he recognizes that same thing. Whereas Tony became so burdened with his own, what he, his own actions that in civil war, he's saying, somebody please put handcuffs on me. Yeah. Like somebody please come in and regulate what we're doing. Cause I don't want to be the one responsible for all of, for more stuff. Um, yeah. And then maybe there's a kindred kind of spirit in Thanos and in Tony in that regard. But again, altruistic versus because because Tony says, give me handcuffs. Thanos says, give me an infinity gauntlet so I can be more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. different implications there. But it also Very fascinates so. me that he. He knows who Tony is, but he doesn't seem to know who Cap is. Yet in that one little yeah. interaction he had with Cap, it seems like he's just as taken aback by Cap as he was by Tony. Like yeah. when he yeah. tries to hit Cap and Cap grabs his hand and he's able to push back on him. And he gives him that what the hell look, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't know. There's a lot of speculation wrapped up in that, too. Like, well, why doesn't he know who Cap is? And why did Cap surprise him so much? Mm. You know, not I, a, I, I, go ahead. Go ahead, Helen. Sorry, I, I was just going to say, I'm, I didn't take it as necessarily absolute knowledge that he, or absolute lack of knowledge of who Cap is, mm-hmm. but more just sort of surprised that he could make any impact whatsoever yeah you're like oh wow you've wow you actually make me flinch there that's or you actually caught my hand for a second that's more than i thought you'd be able to do yeah. huh yeah. you know yeah um so i i think he's done his research on all of them actually in mm. a weird way in the same way that loki showed up in in the first avengers and kind of seemed to know who he was facing um and we didn't quite know why that was either actually yeah. think about it he, he, he wasn't when when uh when tony did the roll call there was no real you know surprise there was a bit of like yeah i'm up against that guy yeah i know but it wasn't it wasn't shock at any point it would be kind of cool if um what's the name well, it's slipping my mind what's the name of jeff goldblum's character in the game, game Ma- Grand, oh, grandmaster <laughs> i want to say i always want to say game master for some reason <laughs> yeah. and i think it's because i've always seen him like grandmaster like in, yeah grandmaster yeah but i always want to say game master because i've seen him like in the comics he plays chess i believe with thanos mm. he plays chess with thanos and then, i was like ian malcolm yeah <laughs> <laughs> right dr ian malcolm um uh I, it would almost be really like a cool scene like to have an after credit scene where you see the grandmaster has all these different profiles of all the different heroes in the universe and he's <laughs> yeah. like displaying them to people and sending them out that'd be kind of fun like like that could almost be like uh like baseball cards <laughs> right like here's this other hero uh anyways um so thanos snaps and half the population of the universe turns to ash which is mm-hmm. devastating in lots yeah. of ways um, but that th- that snap also has two other consequences. One, the snap sends Thanos, unless he chooses to go there. It seems like he's sent there. Doesn't, but maybe he did choose to go there. But either way, Thanos mm. goes inside the Soul Stone after the snap. So I'm going to start with you, Helen, and I, I'm wondering why that is. But I also have a second part to this question because I always do this mm. in all my questions. <laughs> um, and then, and then the second thing is the Infinity Gauntlet itself looks like you said it's destroyed. It looks like it's certainly mangled. Mm-hmm. It, it, mm. It's charred and mangled, and we don't know what implications that has. So, why does he go to the Soul Stone? Why is the thing charred and mangled? What's your theory, Helen? Mm. In terms of going into the Soul Stone, I think it is that idea of the Soul Stone having uh, a personality, maybe or a you know, a will of its own. I'm not sure exactly how to put it but there being a maybe it's part of there being a price to use the soul stone that, that you have to then kind of justify yourself that you're called upon to talk to it in the form of a soul that it you know holds i don't know it's an interesting 
I, I feel like we don't know enough about the soul stone yet to con- entirely understand why that happens. And I feel like we're probably going to learn a lot more about it in the next one. Mm. But uh, but yeah, I feel like it's it's part of the kind of the price of using the stone that that's that's uh, an aspect of mm. of what what you're called upon to do. Um, in terms of the Infinity Gauntlet itself being being sort of mangled, I mean, the idea is that he's built this thing um, to control and, and channel the stones. Um, and it must be an old design because, of course, there's that fake, we're told, mm. in the vault in Asgard. So it, it must be something that has previously existed, but we know that this one was made for him. Mm. Um, so possibly he just got the design a little wrong or possibly it was always a theoretical device and you know the stones were never previously assembled, at least in this universe. Um, but it, it's clear that it couldn't entirely cope with the power that was going through it that it worked but there was there was a consequence to it i don't know if that means that it won't work anymore or if it just means that you know each time you use it it gets more damaged (laughs) Mm. and maybe does you more damage as well um i wasn't clear from the the very quick shot we got in the trailer for endgame whether it's now kind of welded to his skin like melted onto him Mm. i think that's entirely possible that it is Mm. so it may be that it's now uh I mean, it's probably, you would imagine it's still usable because the power comes from the stones, not the gauntlet per se, hmm. but it does look like it may be hampered somewhat. Interesting. And maybe it would have a greater impact on him to use the stones without the yeah. full strength of the gauntlet. Ah. With less kind of protection yeah. than he had before. So yeah. almost like we could see a less powerful Thanos in, in Endgame, potentially. Yeah. Maybe, hmm. maybe, yeah. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, there's the, the line Thor has about his new... Stormbreaker uh, <laughs> uh, acts that you know you would be you, you know you couldn't use it your mind would be snuffed out instantly kind of thing so there is this idea of a cost um, uh, or a, a strength involved in using certain relics mm, yeah. um, and this might be an example of that mm, mm, I like that what do you think Daryl I think the, what's interesting about the soul stone and the idea that it feels like Thanos might be inside of the soul stone is if you think about the snap and you think about Thanos' knowledge that he's going to wipe away 50% of the universe, yeah, they don't ever seem to address this in the movie, but I don't think he knows where he falls in that 50%. Because mm. oh. what if he wipes himself away? Interesting. And what if he did wipe himself away and being wiped away means you're inside the soul stone? Because everybody's all thrown out all these theories that maybe part of the way they get everybody who died back is that they didn't really die. They all just went into the Soul Stone. Right. Mm-hmm. Which has precedent in the comics, yeah. too. So, yeah. yeah. And we didn't yeah. see what happened to him after the snap. Mm-hmm. He could have turned to dust just like everybody else did. Oh, that, we d- now, we how about know. that for beginning of Endgame? Who, Thanos? Thanos yeah. is turning to dust, too. <laughs> but, well, hang on. But Oh, so everything we saw of him afterwards would be inside the Soul Stone. Right. Huh. Crazy, I know, but yeah. I'm just I'm just yeah. throwing. St- I mean, because because we that's part of what makes his character so interesting is I don't believe he did know what was going to happen to him after he did this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I think that's a charitable reading of his character. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. I, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I I'm not I'm not saying it's necessarily untrue because I think it might be, but I think it's a it's a charitable way of looking at it because I think it is also possible to me that he he consciously or unconsciously put himself in the 50% that was okay. Yeah. I'm also interested in just how the 50% works. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the the populations he already halved 
do they survive intact? You know, how how much kind of thought did he or the stone put into this? I, I'm not sure. Yeah. And also, as somebody has pointed out online, you know, there have been a few discussions on Twitter I saw, you know, if you got rid of 50% of kind of higher mammals, even assuming a, a, a correct sexual breakdown in terms of reproduction and so on, uh, you would be overrun by rats, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Because not all creatures reproduce at the same rate. So uh, um, interesting. So yeah. So so fifty percent doesn't actually work. <laughs> yeah. Necessarily. Yeah. It, and I've said before, it is ineffectual anyway. People will reproduce. Uh, traumatized populations will reproduce, and the population will be back up to the same levels within two generations. Yeah. So. Totally. And the level of trauma that every single survivor yeah. deals with totally. will have its effect. Exactly. As far as the gauntlet goes, I think it's. I mean, clearly they seem to have set up if the gauntlet's busted and if the gauntlet is needed to reverse what Thanos did, we <laughs> have a way to get another gauntlet, right? Because we, we know where it was made. Yeah. Um, Peter Dinklage is still alive <laughs> and can still be shouting <laughs> about the handle. The, yeah. <laughs> So that you know, they set that precedent up, and they must have done that for a reason. I mean, I don't think the Russos just wanted to be like, "Oh, it'd be fun to see where the gauntlet comes from." Yeah. You know, I think yeah. there's got to mm. be some future purpose to that. Yeah. 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 It, it does feel point. like if the it does feel like if it'd be weird if in Endgame he's already he's already hampered meaning that the the gauntlet is not as powerful as it was. I almost like the idea better of he can't get it off. That that's almost yeah. like a that's almost yeah. more like a more yeah. compelling thing like you're going to like even the soul stone could be saying in its wisdom, you're going to live with your choice because it's now glued to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um if you're going to take that, on the I power. I think that's true. Yeah. So that'd be that that's kind of um that's kind of an interesting one. I I I think Helen you're you're 100% right about his character because we we even see him he talks about how like oh it's it's going to be 50% without anybody having to decide what that is like and yet he goes around killing people and half the time yes he is kind of i'll say in quotes doing it at random but the other half the mm -hmm. time he's choosing people who he's going to kill even if they're standing in front of in, in his way he's choosing to kill them so it's not uh, it's, this is not 100% just random he he's yeah. psychotic on top of this, um, in yeah. in his pursuit of this. So I, I think that's that's a thing. Um, I don't know that I have any more to add to what you guys have said. I think it's really fascinating that he goes into the Soul Stone after the snap, and I think that what you guys indicated was that that's the Soul Stone working, right? That's the Soul mm -hmm. Stone saying yeah. there is a wisdom here, and you're gonna live with your choices. And the fact that he's seeing Gamora again. Uh, that's the one thing that he loved, and she's inquiring. With, you know, I, I can't remember her exact question, but it's like, did it? Did you do what you needed to do? Kind of like, did yeah. you, did yeah. you accomplish it? Or was it worth it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it worth it? Um, and and that's like, it's, it's almost like the Soul Stone is continually testing his character to continually reveal like. You you have been misguided from the beginning in what you're about to do. So is mm. this misguided is this misguided activity is that worth it to you? And in his answer of saying it had to be done, yes, it is worth it. It just proves that he's insane. <laughs> um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if like if if almost maybe maybe the soul stone is even in in part 
starting to try and reject him for going like, oh, yeah, yeah you've proven yourself and you've proven yourself to be wrong, you know? Um, so we'll see how that works out. But it'll be really fascinating. I think that there's a lot left there. Um, yeah. So last question before mm -hmm. the aftercast, which, by the way, I came up with so many questions that the aftercast has like four <laughs> questions. Too. It's like four or five questions. Um, this is, this is kind of what we do. Uh, but I, there was this really fun moment for me as I was listening to the empire podcast and you guys were talking about, this is, this is a while back now, but you guys were talking about infinity war and you talked about caps final words, um, which basically he just says, Oh God. And as you guys started to explore uh, what that meant, uh, I don't remember if it was, um, you Helen, or if it was Chris, but you started to explore that reaction and talk about whether or not it was a prayer or whether or not like what he exactly he was saying and then you said well we're probably not the podcast to dive further into that and i started like laughing out loud because i'm like oh that's we kind are. of us <laughs> yeah so i thought uh let's go ahead and dig deeper into that um we talked about cap's character journey um where do you think cap is at the closing moments of infinity war and what mm. do you think those two words mean to him helen mm. So I I, uh, I had a bit of a discussion about this. I wrote the Infinity War review for Empire and I had to turn it around really fast, by the way, just for the record. I had to write that in about 35 minutes and it's oh, like 800 wow. words. Um, well done. The embargo, well was, done. the embargo was going to be up and you know we wanted to have the review up, obviously, for the embargo. But luckily I felt strongly about it, so it was quite an easy write. <laughs> but um, but I, I think I put it in the review, something along the lines of, you know, he faces up to his own personal worst case scenario um at that moment and i think that's that's basically it he has in that moment failed to stop evil and evil has won and and now he he's kind of he doesn't know how to make things right he he doesn't know what to do next and that is not his preferred <laughs> position <laughs> i think it's fair to say you know i think i think it is that that sense of uh having lost something vitally important um, and and f rather failed at something vitally important, and and that sort of just sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach, that absolute feeling that your guts have been ripped out, and what do you do now? What is the next step? What is there left to do? Mm. Um, and and this sort of sense of powerlessness that comes with that, and the sense of despair mm. that comes with that. I think it's a really deep, personal, just gutted reaction. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and and so yeah, that 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 was certainly how I read it. Because I I got the the reviews editor at the time coming back to me going, "What do you mean by this?" And I was like, <laughs> "Well, I don't want to spoil it. I'm not going to say in the review, but I mean that moment." And then he was like, "Oh yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> I'll leave it. In, I'll leave it in the review then. Okay." Yeah. But yeah, I think that I think that's what it is. I think it's his it's his personal nightmare. Mm. Mm. That's really good. Yeah, I totally agree. And it it's also you know every other. It seems like almost every other time he opens his mouth in Infinity War. Which is rarely, by the way. Yes. But yes. He is setting the course for what they're going to do next, or he is mm -hmm. the one who is in control, and he's leading everybody, and he knows what to do. Yeah. So, you know, he sees yeah. Vision. He's like, let's get you on the plane. You know? Yeah. yeah. They, need to, they need to get the stone out of Vision's head. He suggests going to Wakanda. Hmm. Like, he is yeah. the one giving the orders, and he is leading the charge mm. and he can't do that anymore he doesn't know how yeah. to do it mm. and i feel like there's also the gravity of he's gone through 
a shitload in his life. <laughs> yeah. He has yeah, sure. had the hardest in life. In a long life, yes. too. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. he, the way he seems to reconcile it is he's okay with it because it all helps equip him to protect people and to help people. Uh, and his yeah. life has a purpose. And so he can deal with what he's been through because it's worth it. Mm. Yeah. And now maybe it wasn't. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think it's really interesting that the tiny bits that we've seen from Endgame, uh, what that shows us about his state of mind. And I think most of that f- trailer comes from the first 10 minutes of the film. Like yeah. I, I really think most of that film is, is completely a mystery to us. Well, didn't but they the come out and I... say they're not, they're not going to show us anything other than what's in the first <laughs> 20 minutes. I think they said that. I... Yeah. I th- that would not surprise me, yeah. but the the one the one bit that I think comes from slightly later, so maybe nineteen minutes, not nine minutes, <laughs> yeah. is the bit where he's back in his uh, Winter Soldier costume. I think it is. Yeah. And he's and 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 Black Widow says this this is going to work, and he goes, "It has to," because I don't know what I'm going to do if it doesn't. Mm. Um, I, I think that goes to his state of mind. That is kind of summing up where he's at. He has to have some way to set this right because he cannot cope with this having ended this way which by the way depending on how much you really miss the beard you could take that scene as a rogaine commercial <laughs> <laughs> that's true but i really that's i true. really miss yeah. the beard yeah. though i don't I know really what do i'm gonna do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. have, have either of you guys seen the third season of of daredevil just one episode yes okay yeah so i was we we just um our new co-host justin weaver and i are are going episode by episode with uh, with daredevil yeah and not on the podcast feed yet we'll we'll release it on the podcast feed but we're doing it on youtube for right now and um it was interesting because as i was watching that show one of the things that occurred to me we just talked about this you can go watch the youtube video on it but we talked about how in Matt Murdock's life, he feels like he has been groomed to be a servant of God through almost mm-hmm. like a Catholic church perspective, right? Like he feels like, well, mm-hmm. I, uh, of course, I, I um, lost my eyesight in a terrible accident. Oh, but look, I gained a, a powers. And then, oh, I lost my dad. But then, okay, I, I was able to fight back against the crime in Hell's Kitchen. And I even have a moral standard that says that the Punisher is wrong. That's kind of season two explores that, right? Like, Mm. no, Punisher, you're wrong. And so he's having, he's in season three, it's about him struggling through this crisis of faith he's having because he feels like, I I think he feels like, my interpretation is that he has been doing all the things he's been asked to do as the servant of a higher power. And that higher power isn't actually giving him what he wants. (laughs) <laughs> he's not getting he's not getting um not reward reciprocity. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Reciprocity, mm. perfect word. And I and I wonder if some of what's going on for Cap when he says, Oh God, is that same kind of moment. It's kind of like all of the things that I've been able to do and all of the people that I've been able to save and all of the people that I've been able to help. Um, everyone from my personal friends like Bucky to the yeah. world at large, like I've been able to do it. And then, then there's this moment where there is another being who ha- who possesses many of the qualities that I would have attributed to God, right? So mm-hmm. omniscience, um, omnipotence, uh, omnipresence, all of that, right? Now mm-hmm. that being is super evil and can do whatever he wants and just killed half the universe. And it's like, then there's that moment of like, well, what am I supposed to do? 
and I'm mm-hmm. kind of left with nothing besides going. And, I, and, and and the only way I would have thought of that, by the way, I would have like not thought of that line probably, um, except having you guys talk about it on the Empire podcast, which I thought was brilliant. Mm-hmm. But it is sort of feels like a prayer of like, well, now what? Like, I don't know yeah, what I else think, to do. Yeah, I do think it's a prayer in the traditional sense as well. I think it's that that sort of, you know, when there's nothing left to say, that, that sort of mm. almost lament, part lament, part plea. Uh, you know a bit of both and also just an exclamation i think i think it's it's everything it's it's sort of what do you say when there's nothing to say what do you say when everything is gone yeah like that i, I you know I, th- I think that is what you say that is it's just it's a very human again probably judeo-christian but there's i'm sure equivalents in other cultures yeah that that's your reaction that's your kind of call to the ultimate the higher power yeah. to just I can't process this. I can't. I can't deal with this on a human level. It's beyond me. Yeah, exactly. You know? I had a, I had a coworker once. This is like a, a true life version of this type of thing. I had a coworker. Actually, actually, Daryl and I both had this coworker. Um, we used to work together way back in the day. Uh, this See guy. If I can figure it out if you're not going to name him. I won't name him. <laughs> this guy was. Um, he was in his his car. I think he had a van, like a like a passenger van, and. Mm-hmm. Um, he could tell that the person behind him was not going to come to a stop before he slammed into the back of his car. And he said, the yeah. only thing I could say, I had literally seconds, and the only mm. thing I could say in light of the fact that this person's going to hit me at a high rate of speed, and this is like on a side street that you can probably go like 45 miles an hour on. But everybody goes mm-hmm. way faster. But everybody goes way faster. <laughs> and he said, all I, could, all I could get out of my mouth was, oh, God. Yeah, that's it. That's all I could get out. Yeah. So is that it is that moment, like you said, Helen, it's this moment of saying, like, there's nothing left for me to do. <laughs> like, I, I'm stuck yeah. here at this stoplight like there, I'm this is going to happen. Um, yeah. And, and it is a very human thing to do. So. By the way, just to bring closure to that story, he and his family are perfect. Oh, fine. yeah. <laughs> Everybody's OK. <laughs> okay. I should have said that. Yeah, I should have said that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He, he uh, I think he had some some neck issues for yeah. a while, but he's yeah, he's good. Um, good guy too. I don't think he would ever listen to this podcast because probably not. He's not a geek, <laughs> but uh, but really good guy. Well, Helen, thanks again for joining us. Anything that you want to point people towards that they should go out and check out? Um, no, I mean I'm on the Empire podcast every week, and we do spoiler pods for all these uh, big films. Like yourselves, we try and get into it a little bit and, and discuss them, and get the uh, directors or writers or stars to come down and explain themselves damn it so uh so yeah check check those out if there's anything big that you're particularly stuck on then we may be able to help <laughs> absolutely yeah, those are fantastic podcasts that's it for today's show special thanks to helen o'hara from the empire podcast for joining us if you want more content from the story geeks related to infinity war head over to the storygeeks.com this week you'll find blogs from ashley and anthony If you head over right now and become a supporter of the Story Geeks for $2 a month or more, you'll unlock access to this week's Aftercast, where we discuss even more questions, deep questions, coming from Infinity War. Coming up later this week on the Story Geeks podcast, I will do a story breakdown on Infinity War. So don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on that. If you enjoyed today's show or any of the Story Geeks podcast, please share our show with a geek friend or review the Story Geeks podcast on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories, and always seek the truth. 